I mean, for real though, doesn't that just make you want to get hype right there? I'm like, let's go. All right, welcome to the well. How are y'all? Good, good to be here with y'all this morning. Hey, let's actually start with this, okay? Uh, we are in a new school year, as many of you know. And so if you are a student, uh, maybe middle school, high school, uh, maybe uh, at UT or ACC or whatever it may be, uh, or if you are an educator, so if you're a teacher or if you work for uh, one of those schools or something like that, uh, would you please stand with us? Look at this. This is awesome. All right. Hey, man, praise the Lord for that. Can we give? Yeah, for sure. Man, thank you for working. Thank you for studying. Uh, I want to do this. Can we just pray, start off by praying a blessing over you guys um, and what you do? Uh, so, body, would you join in praying with me? Um, God, I thank you for these men, these women. Um, Lord, I thank you for uh, those who are studying. God, would you equip them with a sharp mind uh, that they would be able to uh, study, Lord, and even show themselves approved through that Christ. We need men and women in this society, in this world, who are able to be equipped with various uh, uh, giftings to be able to show forth your glory. And so I pray that you would uh, really, even in the midst of their studying, when they get frustrated with tests or, or, or exams, or when they get frustrated thinking about what's after, would you uh, just bless them and give them your presence and help them to persevere. God, I pray for the educators, the administrators, those who are working in one area or another uh, for the school system. God, would you please bless them, help them to teach our students, to serve them, to equip them, let them be leaders that they may raise up a generation of people who are equipped and make them even be the presence of Christ where they are, Jesus. That they may be equipped not just with with knowledge, but even with your presence, Christ, and that you would be made much of in this world. So thank you for these men and women. We pray this blessing over them in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. You can be seated. All right. Good deal. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, let's jump in. Uh, we are in the middle of one of our sermon series, which we will talk about more in a minute. But if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you do not own a Bible, would you please take that Bible and keep that? That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word to be able to use that. And so please feel free to keep that. If you would like a nicer Bible, every single week somebody leaves a nice Bible without a name on it. All right. And so my first Bible was actually a Bible I stole at a church, and now I'm a pastor. So apparently it's okay, all right? So feel free to take that. Uh, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. Uh, if you have the Version app underneath the tab section, uh, click on live, type in the Well Austin. You can follow along that way. Some people call that the Bible app. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, but you want to follow along on your smartphone, you can take this link and put it right into your browser, and you can follow along that way. We say this every week for a very important reason is that we want your eyes on the Word. So whether that is uh, the physical text that you're holding or whether you're looking out on your phone. We're not really care the means by which you do it, but we want you to see that we're not just trying to make some of this stuff up, but we really want to be submitted to what we believe are the very words of God for our lives that we may uh, live rich, full lives in Christ and be able to experience him and the way that he has called us to experience him. So feel free to look at that. Um, while you're turning there and, and, and getting situated, for the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of looking at our mission statement uh, at the well and how we hope this kind of plays out in our own individual lives and uh, in the church holistically. If you look on this slide here, uh, we've walked through our exalt disciples send uh, idea of a church. And so underneath each one of these, we've kind of focused on them. So two weeks ago, we looked at exalt and said that we believe that to exalt Christ or to make much of Jesus, we are gospel-centered 
Christ-centered and uh, or gospel-oriented and Christ-centered, okay? Last week we looked at what does it mean to be and make disciples. We said that means reaching the lost, equipping the saints, and living in community collectively. And those are online. If you missed those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. And this week we're going to focus on the last part, which is uh, send. And so we're going to look at these three different areas. We think that uh, we serve Austin as a body, we plant churches, and we send missionaries. Those are the three main ways how we live out this impacting the world or this sin aspect. So we think that to, in order to exalt Christ, you reproduce disciples. But disciples aren't in and of themselves just people who love Jesus, but rather they love Jesus unbelievably, but then they begin to make an impact in the world around them. They begin to do something. Disciples don't just kind of sit around and, and, and just read their Bible and that's it, and that's what it means to be a disciple. No, a true disciple actually starts making a drastic difference in the world around them, in the world that we live in. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, so, if you ha- so if you have your Bibles ready, go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29, and that's where we're going to start off. We're going to look at this first piece here, which is the serve Austin piece, okay? As you're turning there to Jeremiah chapter 29, I want to give you a little bit of context into Jeremiah's writing here. Jeremiah was writing at a time when the Babylonians had just come in, swooped in, and they had taken Israel, mainly Judah, into captivity. And so uh, Jeremiah is writing in the midst of all of this kind of chaos and and, and all of this turmoil and, and really captivity. Right, like if you think about captivity, like if another country came in and took over America, that's not like a fun time, right? Like the country isn't coming in and saying, "Hey, hey guys, would you like to be our slaves?" We're like, yeah, that'd be awesome, right? Like, that's not what's happening here. There's, there's fighting, there's warring, and so there's probably lots of death, lots of hurt, lots of pain, lots of loss. And Jeremiah is writing this that we're about to read in the midst of that. Okay, so get that in your mind, right? That's where we're, that's our context. So Jeremiah chapter 29, pick it up in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare." Now, it's easy to kind of sit here as Americans and kind of plain, uh, complain about the world that we live in, right? Like, like we live in a little bit of a hard time. Like our, our political system is a mess right now. It seems like we have racial tensions, socioeconomic issues and tensions that kind of rise up. Austin just voted to get rid of Uber and Lyft, right? Like that's annoying, okay? And so it's easy for us to complain, but you know in your hearts that you're not like the Israelites in this text, right? Like the Israelites. Israelites in the middle of this war have probably lost wives, maybe even sometimes viciously to things like rape and stuff, which so often happens in war. They know that they've lost fathers or brothers or, or husbands who were trying to battle and fight for their country and got overtaken by the Babylonian army. They were probably in the midst of a lot of turmoil. I can think we can all agree that at least until our next president, we're in better situations here, right? I'm totally kidding. 
That was supposed to be a joke. Nobody laughed at that. All right. That shows the seriousness of where we are. Here we go. All right. Yet, okay, uh, God calls us, right, as a people, or rather call them to literally pray for their city, to bless that city, to honor that city, even though they were in the midst of a ton of turmoil at that time, to seek its prosperity, to do good in the city that they now call home, even though they are forced to call that city home. And we too, as a church, as a people of God, believe that we are to bless the cities that we live in as we call it home, because most likely none of us are forced to even call this home. We choose to call this home. So even that much more, we seek, like Jeremiah was encouraging his people to bless the city where we live. Now, think about this, because this is true for us too as a body of Christ, is it not? Like the New Testament says that we ourselves are strangers and exiles, It says that this earth is not our home. Austin is not your home, no matter how much you love or don't like this city. Wherever you're from or are going to move to in the future, that is not your home. You are a stranger, an alien, an exile. Yet, we can take this advice and be just like the Israelites and begin to bless the city that we live in, that we reside in, that we call home. We want to seek to serve the city that God has placed us in. And so as a church, we impact the world particularly by serving Austin in a few different distinct ways, okay? Now, here's a question that elders often ask in our elder meeting. What we say is, hey, if the well were to leave, right, like, like if the well were to cease to exist, like if, if something happened, if all the people of the well kind of up and left, would the city be a worse place because we left it? And we hope that the answer to that is yes, We hope that we are blessing the city in such an extraordinary way that to lose us would actually be to lose somebody, some people that cares for the city intimately, that serves it really, really well. We hope that our impact, that we are impacting the world, that it is being felt because we want to make a difference in the world that we're in. Now, we'll talk more about the why in a moment, but we want to serve in a few distinct ways as a body. And one of those things that uh, you see very clearly is here at Campbell elementary, right? We just heard the announcement that if you want to mentor kids, like we want you to be able to do that. We want to be able to bless this school. If you mentor the kids and you've been here for more than a year, you'll see the uniforms that you bought them through your tithes and offerings, through your uh, sacrificial giving. You will see different media equipment that we've given to them to turn them into a media and arts performing center, which you can read now on the side of their building. We want to be able to bless this school in in very uh, intentional and even impactful ways because we think that's what disciples do. They impact the world around them. They make a difference. They begin to live out the gospel in very profound ways. Now, one of the things that we do hope is that as a church, the more that we grow, the more we have the ability to bless other people and other uh, things around us, right? And so one of the things that we do very particularly as a church is we say we want to serve deep, not just wide. And what I mean by that is we don't want to serve 78 different areas of service and really not touch any of those intimately, but rather we want to focus on certain areas to draw deep into them to hopefully bless them in very beautiful ways. But what we hope is, is that as we seek to serve the city deeply, that as we grow as a body, we are also to serve the city widely. Are you tracking with that? And so as more and more giftings kind of come out from you, we are able to also go deep into some of those areas. So as an example, one of the areas we've been praying for for a while is that we would be able to also make an impact in human 
human trafficking, that we would be able to be a part of rescuing or prevention or help. And maybe even through the body of Christ holistically, we can see a tragedy like that come to an end because the church steps in and begins to see an impact in the world around them. We want to make a difference, not just be here just to read the Bible, not just be here just to sing praises. Those things are good. And trust me, we care about those things deeply, which is why we focused on them the first two weeks. But we also think that disciples then go and they make a difference. They begin to share forth the person of Christ in where they live, work, and play. And as a church, we want to do that very intentionally. Now you may say, well, hey, what if I have different passions? Like you guys are serving in Campbell, you're serving in ADRN, you're, you're doing benevolent stuff. Like, like what if I have a different passion? And we say, yo, that's awesome, <laughs> right? Like maybe the Lord has actually given you that passion because you're supposed to lead us as a body to help serve in a different area. We want you to take some of your gifts and to allow the body to come around that, that you would build us up and we would build you up and support you and that we would be able to make a deep impact in the world around us. We want to serve Austin in very intentional ways. What I want you to hear kind of in the midst of all of that though is that we want to be able to really bless the city and profile ways as a collective body of Christ that together holistically we can begin to see Austin, particularly East Austin where we currently reside as our body, really blessed to have our presence here. We want you to use your passions to to show forth the glory of Christ in service. We want to serve Austin collectively. But individually, this also should be played out in your own personal life by being a blessing to the city. So collectively as a church, we want to serve Austin collectively. But individually, you should also, like Jeremiah instructed the Israelites, seek to bless the city that you live in. This can happen in many different ways. Now look at the Jeremiah verse again. Okay, and look at some of the things that Jeremiah was telling them. They were to plant and they were to build houses and they were to enter into covenants of marriages, right? So think about the the, the plant. Planting. That's probably part of the people's jobs then during that time. So man, that means your job is a way that you can bless the city. Like that's why we say that you should work hard as a believer because in working hard, you are providing something, either a service or a good to the people around you. And this is indeed glorifying to God. This is a way that you serve the people that God has created because God cares for every single one of the persons that he has ever created, which is everybody in the world. And so as you serve and as you work hard, as you uh, build houses and take care of it and take care of your neighborhood around you, as you mow your lawn so you're not that neighbor, all right, I'm talking to myself there, okay? Like you want to bless the city of Austin around you, not just take from it. Like we are as a people of God, not just consumers, but we are givers. In fact, we know scripture tells us it's better to give than it is to receive. And so we seek not just to consume from the city that we live in, but rather to build it up just like the Israelites were the pagan city, Babylon, to build it up, to to seek its prosperity, to seek its good, to pray for it, to try to encourage. Just as Jesus and his disciples didn't go around and consume, where they went, they made that place better. So we, as Jesus's disciples, remember, we make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who impact the world. As his disciples, we want to impact the world just like Jesus did, just like the prophets commanded Israel to do, just like the people of God are supposed to do. This may mean in order to bless the city, some of you may need to make sacrifices for the city. Like maybe that means you make sacrifices on how or where you choose to live. 
Because you say, hey, this is where God has called me, and man, I'm not going to be able to afford uh, the house that I want, so maybe I make some sacrifices here. Maybe you make sacrifices on how or where you work. Maybe you make sacrifices in different ways, but is God calling you into this body or particularly into this area, and then can you bless it with your gifts, with your time, with your treasures, with your talents, with different things, that it may be a better place because you and we collectively are here. Everywhere where we are, your neighborhood should be better because you are there. You should serve your neighbors, love them, be the light of Christ to them, not just in gospel presentation, though that is true and most important, but also in your service, in your love for them, just being a good neighbor. Where Christ was, he made it better. And so then as Christians, where we are, we want to make it better. Now, often what happens here is that people kind of hear some of this and they start thinking, well, well isn't that kind of like social gospel, right? Like, like just preach the gospel. Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do as a people of God is just preach the gospel and be about the gospel? And listen, I do understand that sentiment. I am so anti-social gospel, it's not even funny, okay? And so I'm going to take this soapbox and throw it over here, and I'm not going to stand on it today, all right? I hate the social gospel. I don't think that it does good, right? But as we know, what James tells us is that we can't come to a people and say, hey, God bless, and then not give them a coat if they're cold. James says, what type of faith is that? That's no faith at all right? In fact, listen to this. So go to Galatians chapter 2 here to show that we're not doing a social gospel. This is actually our, our commitment as disciples. In Galatians chapter 2, I'm actually going to start it in verse 9. Only verse 10 is on the screen there. But it says, and when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, so the three leaders of the church, these are the three kind of the, the, the leaders, the, 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 the pastors of the whole church, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and that they should be circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor. Listen, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the Apostle Paul talking here, right? Like if I were to say, man, the very thing that Paul was eager to do is you would think what? Preach the gospel, plant churches, send missionaries, do these different things. He said, no, remembering the poor was one of the very things I was eager to do. Why? Because as we see Paul's ministry played out, we see as he serves the least of these around him, he knows that actually gives opportunity for the gospel that if you bless somebody physically, you may even bless them more spiritually. And he knows he wants the gospel to increase. So they said, don't forget about the poor. And Paul says, oh man, trust me, that was the very thing I was eager to do. I was eager to go out that I may bless those around me, that I may be the light of Christ around me. Do you think that? Right? Like, like is, is that how you interact in your own individual lives? Do we think that collectively as a church? We are serious about reaching the lost. That's part of making disciples. We are serious about discipleship, about being Christ-centered and gospel-oriented, but we have to be serious about loving and serving the city that we choose to reside in as well. And so, man, poo-poo on the social gospel, right? Like, like, that's not what we're saying at all. But what we are saying is that the gospel should begin to motivate us to actually seek and serve of the city because God loves everybody whom he has created. This is part of the, the kingdom mandate, the creation mandate in Genesis 1:28 that we would cultivate, that we would create and cultivate what God has taken and make it better. That's what we do as believers, okay? So 
That's one way we want to do it. As a church and as individuals, we want to serve Austin collectively as a church, and we want to bless the city as individuals that are living within the city. But we also want to plant churches, okay? So that's one area we want to serve God is by serving Austin. The other area that we think we make an impact in this world, that we live sent lives, is by planting churches, Okay, Um, if you, uh, uh, well, actually, before you go there, let me say this. One of the things that we want to do as a body is that we would like to see 100 national churches planted within the first 50 years of the well's existence. We are going to celebrate our fourth birthday in two weeks, okay? And so we will say, hey, within the next 46 years, we want to see 100 different national churches planted, that more good would be done, that more people would be enriched, that Jesus would be made much of at different areas of Austin, of Texas, of the world around us, okay? Tim Keller says this, the vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city and the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministry, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. Uh, C. Peter Wagner, who is a leading missiologist, okay, yes, those exist, all right, says this, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known other under heaven. There are many other men and women who have kind of gone before us and before then who have said some of the same things. But we want to impact the world by serving Austin, yes. But most importantly, we want to serve the city with the gospel of Christ. We think that even if we have silver and gold not, we still have something far more precious than that, which is the blood of Jesus that covers over our sins, that brings us into relationship with God. Much of scripture talks about church planting, okay? Uh, A lot of it is even just kind of insinuated that it would happen. In fact, look at Titus chapter 1, verse 5. In Titus chapter 1, Paul uh, is telling Titus how to lead the church, and he says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Elders don't exist in specific functions outside of the local church, okay? It's not like he's saying, hey, put an elder over the Applebee's down the street, right? Like, that's not what Paul is saying here, okay? He's not saying, hey, put an elder, and and this like elders exist in the place of the church. So it seems like what Paul was doing was planting churches vigorously all over the place and saying, well, now we need people to help lead them and structure them. Titus, would you go and make sure elders are in all of these church plants? Paul was serious about planting churches. Or go over to the book of Acts. We're going to do a quick dive through some of Acts, okay? In Acts chapter 13, Paul says this, starting in verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and did not return, or and and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. On the Sabbath day, they went to, into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, and then he goes on and preaches a really, really long sermon, okay, which we're not going to read all this today because my sermon's already going to be long today, all right? Some of you are like, when are your sermons not long? It's all right. So jump all the way down to verse 42. 
So Paul preaches this sermon, and it says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after, meeting, or after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Okay, so Paul goes in, starts being evangelistic. People are like, man, this is really, really cool. What you're saying is good news. We, we want to hear this. The, the whole city comes, and then just like it's always happened in the church, okay, persecution comes up. And so all of a sudden the Pharisees come, they start getting jealous, they, they start trying to beat Paul, and they end up chasing him out the city. So Paul has to now leave the city that he started this work in, okay? However, jump forward one chapter to verse, or chapter 14 and pick it up in verse 25. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, remember this is where they just were, okay? They went down to Atelia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commanded to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived, they gathered the, what's that word? The church together. And they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So see this? All of a sudden, Paul leaves this area and then he comes back and there are churches present. Right? Paul is trying to plant churches. All throughout the scriptures, we see this idea that a local body, a church, is supposed to be focused on and thinking about planting other local churches, that the, the kingdom of God would expand through the local church. There's a deep need for churches to be planted. Look at some of these stats here, if you're a stats person, okay? Only one county in America has a greater church population than it did 10 years ago. How many counties do you think there are in America? I have no idea what that number is, okay? But I'm assuming it's tens of thousands, right? I, I know there are over, over 400 and something just in Michigan. And so I'm assuming there are tens of thousands of counties and only one of them in all of America has a greater church population than it did 10 years ago. 92 percent, uh, there's been a 92 percent increase in the number of unchurched Americans in the last 13 years. The U.S. has the third largest population of unreached people in the world after India and China, Right, like we don't often think of the United States as a as a people group that needs the gospel, but per population, the amount of people that are here that don't have Christ being preached to them is the third greatest in the world. Now there are more unreached people groups, but not in population. There's a need for the gospel here. Eighty-five percent of all churches in America are either plateaued or are declining. Listen to this. If everyone in Austin were to fill up the current church's seating capacity on any given Sunday, only 13% of the city would actually even be able to attend a church service. So if everybody, if the Holy Spirit did this great work and he came down, he started moving on people's hearts and he said, man, go to church. And they said, I want to hear about Jesus. Remember what we just read in Acts? The whole city gathered together to hear Paul. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was doing this work as Paul was trying to plant churches. The Holy Spirit was stirring up in people's hearts a desire to know about this. And if everybody came, there'd be 13% availability. Right? Like, like the need for planting churches, even in the city that we live in, is serious. We could go on and on and on. But as a collective body, we want to plant new churches. Now, 
That's what we do holistically. And as a body of Christ, we are able to do that with our gifts, with our finances, with different things. Like as a body, we can plant churches. But individually, how does this play out in your individual life? What does it look like for you as an individual? Okay, we get our job collectively. But individually, I think your job is very simply to help establish local churches. That's what you can do as an individual, that you would have such a heart for the local church, that you would make sacrifices for the local church, that you would think about how you can use your gifts to edify the local church, that you would give even financially to help the work of the local church or give of your time or give of your talents and treasures. God cares about the church unbelievably. Remember what he calls us, the bride of Christ. Like we are his bride. Jesus is wedding the church to himself. And so Jesus wants the body of Christ, the bride of Christ to come together collectively. He cares about his body. And as individuals, we can help establish local churches. So maybe what that means is that as the well plants a church, let's just pretend in South Austin, maybe you live in South Austin and you go, man, you know what? I could help this church plant here. And you go and you begin to use your gifts there and help establish that local church. Or maybe God is calling you here to the well. This is your body. This is your family. Man, awesome. How can you use your gifts to help establish this local church so that this local church can send off other local churches? You tracking with that? So collectively, even uh, as a body, we want to send off churches. But even individually, as you try to seek to establish the church, I mean, you can actually be a part of church planting as you use your gifts to edify the body, as you lead groups or serve in worship or set up chairs that we may hear the word taught and submit to it, or as you do whatever it may be that God has gifted you to do, you can actually be a part of establishing churches, which holistically, if you're in a good church, right, a church that's serious about the gospel, they want to start new works. They want to see Christ preach where he is not currently preached. They want to go out and impact the world around them. And so you are a part of that as God has called you into that, okay? Um, so there's an importance there of the local church, all right? Um, can I boast for 16 seconds? Can we take a quick TV timeout? All right. Y'all still with me? All right, all right. I'm halfway through my 16 seconds. Thank you, Kenan. That was, all right, here we go. Ready? Here's my quick boast, all right? Uh, y'all are rock stars, okay? I mean that. Y'all are rock stars. I don't think that a local church that starts with 11 people is where we are today without God calling a lot of you all to make tremendous sacrifices to see this body lifted up that we may serve other people. Here's what I hope you see in that. In your rock stardom, okay, and I mean that, like you guys are seriously great. In some of that, I hope that you get some of the, the, the glory of Christ because Christ wants his name preached to the ends of the earth. And as you help establish some of this, I hope you see that your impact in this local body is truly making a difference in the world around us. As we start thinking about how can we plant churches? How can we send missionaries? How can we serve the city of Austin? Man, some of your sacrifices and commitment to this local body actually creates some of that. And so I hope that you get some of the joy of Christ as you begin to think about, hey, how do I play this out individually? Man, a lot of you guys have made a ton of sacrifices to help establish this local church. Would you keep doing that? Would you help us to establish more and more? Or would you maybe even go to a place where there is no work and help establish it there? 
as God calls us up to raise out and to send out church planners, would we be a part of that, okay? And so we want to uh, establish the church in that way, okay? Now, the last one is send missionaries, all right? You don't have to look very far in Scripture to see this played out biblically, okay? In fact, if you just read the book of Acts, you see missionaries sent out, right? Like all over the place in Acts, we see it sent out. But I want to look at a different passage today. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, obviously Revelation is the last book in the Bible. This is, uh, we're studying the end times here by looking at this book. This is what it will look like at the end, okay? Pick it up in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, listen, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Friends, what a beautiful day that will be. Amen. What a beautiful day when one day we get to stand before the Lamb, finally spotless in His sight, worshiping Him for all of the glory that He is and finally actually seeing it. Like not thinking, oh, that, that they, they missed a, a, a strum on the guitar there. Not thinking, oh, like I have to go do this after church. Not thinking, like we get to see him in his fullness and worship him holistically. This is beautiful. But look what it says. Every tongue, tribe, nation will be there with us. I mean, that is freaking awesome, right? About, uh, I guess, eight years ago now, I was in India on a mission trip. And we were uh, uh, helping uh, local church uh, pastors learn how they can take some of their work and multiply it into other villages. There's church planting movements or methods, if you're familiar with that. And so we're training these local pastors, teaching them. And, and one of the things that we started with was a, a, a worship. And so the pastor would come in and, and he would lead in worship. And it wasn't fancy, okay? He had a little, uh, what is that, like an accordion thing, all right? It made like somewhat weird, it just made really repetitive sounds, okay? And I still remember, I do not speak Hindi or I, I don't know what they were saying, but I just remember, Yeshu Nam, Yeshu Nam, Yeshu Nam, hey, Yeshu Nam, something, 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 Yeshu Nam, Yeshu Nam, hey, Yeshu Nam, something, 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 Yeshu Nam, and they just over and over and over again. Jesus is his name, Jesus is his name, Jesus is his name, Jesus is his name. And I said, well, what were you saying in between? They're saying, well, we were just kind of saying stuff like, Jesus is the Lord and he is king. Jesus is his name. Jesus is his name. He is good and he is great. Jesus is his name and Jesus is his name. And you know what we'll be doing in Revelation chapter 7? We'll be singing, Yeshu Nam, Yeshu Nam, with every tongue, tribe, and nation. Why? Because the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. This is beautiful, right? Like we get to be a part as the people of God is seeing every single tongue, tribe, nation gathered together, not just singing Hillsong or hipster worship or whatever we like in our church, right? But we are literally seeing every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping in their language the lamb that was slain for them. Like this is a beautiful thing. 
and we get to be a part of this. I mean, this is awesome. Like, why would you not want to be a part of this? To see every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so we want to, as a body, send out 100 full-time missionaries overseas, internationally, that are focused on planting churches. We want them to take a work and start somewhere and then send it off and multiply it in other places. We got to, as a body, uh, celebrate sending out Bob Robbins about three or four months ago. And so Bob was number one that we hope is 99 more, okay, where he starts a work in Brazil and sees several other church plants from that area, where we can send off somebody else somewhere else and they can see several churches planted. Why? That every tongue, tribe, and nation would know our king because he's worthy. John Piper, who's a pastor in Minnesota, says this, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. And that's why we go, because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus, and we want all the families of the earth included. Amen. We want all the families of the earth included to hear about the goodness. And so as a body, we want to send off missionaries. Now, that's what we do collectively as individuals. What does this look like? Okay. Well, it's really simple. You go or you support. Simple as that, right? Maybe in some of you, as you hear the Revelation 7 call, God does something in your heart and says, hey, hey, what if you're a part of that? What if you're a part of seeing the whole nation's reach? Maybe you go, maybe even some of our missional communities that we have in the church are focused on international students and, and people groups. So maybe you actually stay, but you're still focused on seeing the gospel taken to the ends of the earth. I, I don't know what it looks like, but either you go or you support those who are going. That's what the people of God have always done historically. If we've supported the work as it goes into other areas because we believe that much that Jesus is the only thing that truly gives life, joy, and satisfaction. Jesus is the answer. That's why even as a church, collectively, we give a ton of money away that to missionaries. We want, we want to see the gospel not just be established here in Austin. Man, praise the Lord. We want to establish because we want to send. We want to not just see ourselves raised up, but other people raised up. We're an Acts 29 church as well, if you're familiar with that. And I was meeting with the other 829 pastors this week, and one of them shared that they got to help start a church in Pakistan, okay, where the gospel is really persecuted and a lot of times illegal, and that this week alone, they got to see 17 people in Pakistan be baptized. Man, that's freaking awesome, right? Like, I'll punch something right now, okay? Like, that is so good, right? Man, to see work started somewhere else, doesn't that do something to your heart? As a believer, you know this is what we are called to do, right? Why? Because Jesus is life. He is joy. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our satisfaction. He is everything that we think about and crave and could desire is found in Jesus. And we want all the nations to know about this. And wasn't Jesus our perfect example of this anyway? Like, like didn't Jesus, as we think about serving Austin, uh, planting churches, sending missionaries, wasn't he the perfect example of that? Right, now maybe Jesus didn't serve Austin, Texas, okay? But didn't he serve where he was? Like, did Jesus only heal the people that worshiped him? Think about the story, okay? We're not gonna read it today. But think about the story in Luke chapter 17. There's 10 lepers, and they all come. She says, what do you want? They said, well, we want to be healed. So go, go show yourself to the priest, okay? 
and, and, and then you'll be healed. And as they're on their way, they're all healed of their leprosy. And then what happens? One of them comes back and he bows down and starts worshiping at Jesus's feet. Okay, one of them wasn't just healed of their physical sickness, but they were also healed of their spiritual sickness. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? He says, I, I don't know. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go. Like, like you have an even deeper healing. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't go, were there 10 of you? Where, where are the other nine? I don't know, Lord. Leprosy, go back. Right? Like that's not what Jesus did. Okay? Jesus healed even those who did not eventually end up believing in him. So we don't just serve people in hopes that the gospel will be the only thing. We serve because we serve because that's what Christ does. He's our example in that. We serve because we love God and he loves his creation. And he hopes that through that service, some of them will be even deeper healed. But man, even if they're not, we want to serve and bless anyway. Jesus is our example of that. Wasn't Jesus a church planting machine? You say, well, how? Because he looked at Peter and said, upon this rock, I build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. Peter, I give you authority. Now go plant churches, right? Didn't Jesus send missionaries? In Luke chapter 10, he takes 72 disciples and says, go into all these towns and preach the gospel. Make sure they hear about, like, Jesus is our example. Friends, even more than that, Jesus is our fulfillment. In Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve sin. And they eat the fruit of the tree. And then all of a sudden they look and they realize that they're naked. And they take these fig leaves, which are miserable leaves to cover up your private parts with, all right? Go look at a fig leaf if you want to know what I'm talking about, okay? And they cover themselves up and they go and they hide. And then God comes down. But as a man, who's the God man? Is it not Jesus? As Jesus comes down and says, Adam, where are you? says, I'm over here, Lord. He says, what are you doing behind that bush, bro? I was hiding from you. Says, well, why were you hiding from me? Because I ate, right? And there's this sin that comes and God restores them. In Genesis 3, chapter 15, he says, there will be somebody who will come who will smash the head of the serpent. Praise the Lord for that. Then what God does is he makes an animal sacrifice. He, he kills these animals and he takes off the fig leaves and clothes them as a sign showing that Jesus clothes us with righteousness. We can't clothe ourselves. We can't cover up our own offenses. Jesus covers us up. And then he comes again to Abraham and he comes again to Joseph or, or to, to Jacob and he comes again to Moses and again to Joshua and again to the judges and again to the prophets and again when the word became flesh. Jesus left his dwelling in heaven and came to a place that he was very unfamiliar with in terms of action. He is not like this world. He is perfect. But he exits perfection, enters into this world. Why? That he may seek and save the lost. Jesus is our perfect missionary, friends. When we see what Jesus has done for us, when we realize how he left everything, gave it all, that he may seek us, like, man, that makes us want to worship and want to go. That makes us realize that Jesus gave up everything, that we may find what we need in him. What are we to give up that others may find what they need in Christ? And so maybe that doesn't mean us going overseas, but how can we serve Austin? How can we work hard at our jobs? How can we be a good student? How can we do these things that people may see the glory of God through that and worship the King? How can we send other churches that they may preach the same gospel message that every tongue, tribe, and nation would hear and believe and worship our King? 
How can we send out missionaries even to the ends of the earth, showing forth Jesus not just as our example but our fulfillment, that we find what we need in Christ and that others would know that, that we may sing one day, Yeshu Nam, Yeshu Nam, Yeshu Nam, Yeshu Nam. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you. You are worthy, Jesus, of all of our praise, of all of our our worship. God, you are worthy of everything. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray, even right now, God, there, there are some of us in here who, man, we're, just, we're trying to seek you out. We're trying to figure out who you are. Maybe we got invited by a friend. Maybe we just stumbled in here today. Maybe we were afraid or, or didn't know what we're doing. God, man, you are good, and you want the whole world to know your name, for in you is love and life. Friends, if that's you, I pray, even right now, that you would allow Jesus to be Lord over your life that you would give your life to him, that you would see him as, as, as God and as king, but not just that, as the lover of your soul who cares so deeply for you that he would die, that you would know him. I mean, if you want to follow Christ, I would encourage you, mark your communication card, write that on there. I would, I would love to meet with you and talk about what that looks like or talk with a friend who, who brought you. But man, to know Jesus' life. And so God, I ask even right now for those who don't know you, that they would begin to know you, that maybe even some of them would end up being the missionaries, that they would never even think about that, and one day you would send them into the ends of the earth to share about your glory. God, I pray for those of us who don't serve, who don't establish, who don't plant, who who don't send, who don't think about these things. God, would you uh, forgive us for our lack of obedience to the scriptures that command us to go make disciples of all nations. God, would you help us repent where it's needed, God, and would we follow through on that great commission? And Lord, would we be a church that exalts, that disciples, that sins for your glory, Jesus? God, thank you for the men and women who try to do that. We know we fail. God, thank you for your grace your mercy that covers over us. I thank you, Jesus, for being a missionary toward us. We pray this in your very beautiful name. Amen.